Go ahead, if you would, and open with me tonight to 2 Peter chapter 1. Appreciate the opportunity to get to share God's Word with you tonight. Pastor Will and then James and Billy had the opportunity, as I'm sure most, if not all of you already know, to head over to Florida for a pastor's conference, really a church planter's conference. There was people from around the country, different pastors and other church leaders, people who are interested in church planting, who got together for a conference they've been doing for the past several years now over in Florida. And so I talked with, uh, I talked with Pastor Will today. We were texting back and forth, and he let me know that uh, things had gone well. They really had a good time and were um, encouraged, excited about what God is doing in uh, some other areas, um, other churches being started, good efforts being um, put forth around the country, and a lot of people excited and praying for what's happening here, excited about what's going on in our church, excited about what is going to continue, Lord willing, to take place over with uh, Pastor David's church here as his is just getting started, and so a number of things that God is doing. He texted me here a couple of hours ago, said he and James were on the plane, so they should be landing here soon. So I, was, I, was, I told him if the uh, plane would go a little faster, he could just come preach, and then I wouldn't have to worry about it. But obviously, we're not in control of those things. But that being said, I'm looking forward to being able to share what God has for us tonight from His Word. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you've been here over the past couple of weeks, we've started a study here in 2 Peter. And the overarching theme for this study is the idea that words matter. Now, normally we have the screen with the blanks and all of that. I didn't do that. Um, that is, uh, that's why he gets paid all the money, and I'm just the, the fill-in. So you'll have to just try to stay with me tonight as we work our way through this. But the, the overarching theme we've been studying is the idea that words matter. Two weeks ago, we looked at opening words from the Apostle Peter to a group of believers in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. And then last week we looked at verses 3 and 4. We looked at what we, uh, what we sort of themed as great and precious words that were found there. We studied God's divine power and His divine promises that are essential to us as believers. One of the things I like about the, the, this first chapter of 2 Peter is that there's a lot here that is very foundational and very important for believers at really at any stage of their growth and walk with the Lord. And tonight we're going to get to continue our study. We're going to look at verses 5 all the way down through verse 9. But before we do that, let's back up and we're going to look at verses 3 and 4 to kind of do a brief review of where we were last week. And then we'll get into these verses that we're going to study over the next few minutes tonight. So 2 Peter chapter 1 Verse number 3 says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So last week, like I said before, we studied these great and precious words. If you look at verse number 3, you see here that God has given us, it says, according to His divine power, hath given us unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So right here, we're sort of being let in on what we're about to see, that everything we need for a successful spiritual life, a life that pleases the Lord, a life that is useful to the Lord, is going to be found in these verses ahead. Obviously, for those of us who have been in church, been walking with the Lord for any period of time, 
we recognize the importance and the need to be studying God's Word because in it we find everything that we need that's alluded here in verse 3 that pertains unto life and godliness. But in verse 3 we see where it starts and it says it starts through the knowledge of Him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. He continues on here in verse number 4, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature." In other words, God has given us everything necessary to have a relationship with Him, to become divine, partakers of the divine nature, to accept the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. As God buys us back through what Jesus did for us, we then get to partake in that divine nature. We get to become more like God through the relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is foundational for everything that we believe as Christians. And he says here in verse 4 that we get to be partakers of that divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust or through sin. That each and every one of us have made those sinful choices. And then it's God's work through Christ that has given us the opportunity to escape that corruption that is in the world through our sin. And so then he gets on into verse number 5. Now, it's important to understand that Peter here, under the inspiration of God, is writing to primarily a group of believers. He's making an assumption here as he gets into verse 5 that these are people who have already accepted Christ. And so now what he's going to do over the next verses 5, 6, and 7 is he's going to lay out what you might call building blocks for building a successful Christian life, building a life that is honoring and glorifying to God. And he starts this in verse number 5. Look what he says there. He says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So you're going to notice, and probably many of you are already familiar with this passage to a certain extent, but you're going to notice that he's talking about adding one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. The idea is that we're laying a framework and then we're building on top of that framework with the next thing. And as we work through, there's going to definitely be a sequential idea as we go through the next several verses of add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, um, excuse me, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So it's kind of like one thing, then the next, then the next, then the next. But the wording there in verse number 5, he uses the word add. And this carries the idea of, if, if you've ever heard a symphony before, where you have one instrument that might start playing their, their, their part, their note, their line, and then another instrument is added to that, and then a third, and then a fourth. You don't have the full symphony until all of the instruments are added together, playing in harmony with one another under the direction of the conductor. And that's kind of the idea here that all of these things work together. There's nothing here that is meant to stand alone. It's not that we've attained spiritual uh, maturity or ultimate Christ-likeness once we've gotten past adding to our faith virtue. That's a good start, but it's not the end. As a matter of fact, this process, as you're well aware of by now, is a lifelong pursuit. The Bible says in Philippians 1 verse 8 that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ isn't here yet. We haven't succeeded. We haven't made it. No matter if you've been saved a week or if you've been saved 50 plus years, none of us have attained full Christ likeness. All of us have room to grow. And what the Apostle Peter is giving these people here 
is a list of building blocks, of virtues, if you will, to help them in that process as they pursue Christ-likeness. Now, right there at the beginning of verse 5, he says, and besides this, so in addition to the promises that he's just talked about in verses 3 and 4, he says, giving all diligence. Now, I didn't write it out because it's a lot of letters and a weird pronunciation, but the original language here that this was written in was Greek, and that particular word carries the idea. In our Bibles, it's translated giving all diligence. The idea is making every effort, giving it everything I've got, putting forth my full effort at this. So right at the beginning, Peter wants these people to understand, and we need to understand today, that this isn't something that just sort of happens. See, the process of Christ-likeness and the process of sanctification is a joint process. God does His part. There's no questioning whether or not God's going to do His part to make me more like Christ. The question is, how much am I going to put forth? Peter says here that it's going to take everything you've got, giving all diligence. In other words, this isn't a half-hearted effort. This isn't, I'm in today, out tomorrow, I come to church Sunday night, now here we are on Wednesday night, look at us, all of us spiritual people made the effort Wednesday night. It's not enough. He says, giving all diligence, making every effort. We are to add to our faith, that faith, that original faith, being a partaker of the divine nature through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, add to your faith virtue. Now, the idea of virtue carries this idea of excellence. Excellence in Christ's likeness. We could, call, we could define this as cultivating a God-mandated purpose, a God-mandated purpose to develop and display the excellencies or the character of Jesus Christ. Virtue, cultivating a God-mandated purpose to develop and display the excellencies or the character of Jesus Christ. Obviously, the foundation here is faith, it's salvation, it's trust in Christ. But the very first thing he says here, if we are going to build a life that is pleasing to God, is that we need to add to that faith virtue, excellence, a spirit of a pursuit of Christ-likeness. See, if there's no pursuit... If there's no making the effort, if there isn't the diligence, then these other things that are coming down the line aren't going to happen. This is a pursuit. This is excellence of Christ-likeness. This permeates or should permeate every area of our life. See, God doesn't call us to be Christians in certain areas and then just live like the world in others. Virtue requires that we give God every aspect of our heart, every aspect of our life, and that we hold nothing back. And what Peter's asking for from these believers is this wholehearted commitment to an excellence, an excellence in their pursuit of Christ-likeness. He says, add to your faith virtue. He continues on there. He says, and to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge or cultivating a God-taught understanding of the person, the work, and the ways of Jesus Christ. And remember, we're supposed to be doing this by giving it our full effort, adding this pursuit of Christ-like excellence and adding to that knowledge, a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, a knowledge of what He's done for us, a knowledge of the character qualities and the character traits of God, a knowledge that, 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 that where we grow to the point where as we just go through our day-to-day -day life, we can look and we can see God's involvement here. We can see God's hand there. Whereas before, 
perhaps before we were believers or perhaps before we were pursuing Christ-likeness, we might have glossed right over those things. You see, the reality is God is at work all of the time. God is at work in every aspect of our life. But if we're not pursuing Him, we completely miss those things. We sort of move through our lives as if God's not involved when the reality is it's only because of Him that we have the ability to go through life, that we have the ability to be sustained and to have everything that we need. And Peter tells these people, you've got to add this into your life, a knowledge, a pursuit of knowing God, a desire and a hunger for His Word, a passion for prayer, a passion and a desire to not let a day go by where I don't get to know my God better, to where I don't pursue that relationship with Him further. Now tonight, again, the overarching theme of words matter. The, the theme for tonight is challenging words. These are challenging words because while they may be easy to understand, they're challenging to actually live out. If you're anything like me, we've already looked at two building blocks here, three if you count the original one of faith, but we've looked at two things particular here, pursuing virtue or excellence in Christ-likeness, pursuing a knowledge of Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. If you're anything like me, you're looking at these two going, I've missed the boat. I'm not, I, I'm not doing this the way that Peter's already describing for me to do it. They're challenging words. Peter's not holding back here, sort of letting some people off the hook. He says, no, basically, if, if you're not doing these things, you're, you're going to have spiritual problems. He's going to get to that later on in the passage. We'll look at that further towards the end. They're challenging because they're difficult to execute or to live out. And they're challenging because they're extremely important, as I alluded to. And we'll get to that more in verses 8 and 9. So in verse 5, we have three building blocks, faith, virtue, and knowledge. They're foundational in developing a commitment to Christ. If we don't have salvation, if we aren't pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, the excellence of understanding His character, if we're not pursuing that knowledge of Him, then we're not going to be very committed to serving Him, are we? We must have these building blocks as we look to develop a commitment to Christ these traits produce a wholehearted disciple who chooses uh, the appeals and the ideals of Christ and rejects the appeals and the ideals of the world. These first three traits deal with our heart. They deal with our mind. They deal with what we're pursuing, virtue and knowledge. If we're not pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, if we are not adding to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, then we're probably not going to be very successful, as verse 6 says, adding to knowledge temperance. The idea is self-control. Now, we're raising three small children at the moment. And one of our children, I mean all three of them, as you who are many of you have raised or are currently raising children or you've been a child, you understand the struggle with self-control. Reality is that we as adults understand the struggle with self-control too because we're big kids that haven't figured it all out and learned it yet. One of our children in particular, um, <clears throat> they will get so worked up over what seems to me as the littlest things. They'll get so worked up, and then when I'm trying to work with them and tell them to calm down, they're just, <sighs> and at times they'll be like, I can't, and you can tell that they're trying as hard as they can, but yet they've clearly not mastered the idea of self-control. You and I understand what that's like. Yeah, we may not, hopefully, we don't exhibit the way that a three, four, five, six-year-old does. But you know what it's like when something doesn't go your way. 
I know what it's like when something doesn't go my way. And it's easy to lose control. And what Peter's telling these people is, look, if you're going to be like Christ, you've got to add this building block into your life, temperance or self-control. We can define it like this, cultivating a God-empowered mastery of my internal desires. Recognize that this is strength that God gives, a God-empowered mastery of my internal desires. One of the biggest differences between children and adults is the ability to say no, especially the ability to say no to yourself. Unfortunately, many of us recognize that we haven't fully mastered that, and it leads to all sorts of problems as we don't have the ability to control our own desires. We understand that our flesh is strong, but Peter's telling these people as we continue to grow, we've got to add self-control, recognizing that it's God-empowered, it's God-given, but we've got to have self-control added into our life, which leads us right into the next one in verse 6. He says, to knowledge, temperance, or self-control, and to temperance, patience. The idea is endurance, developing spiritual endurance. We could define it like this, cultivating a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. In other words, when things get difficult, we don't give up. We don't quit. Recently, I've been I've seen a few different documentaries and videos about distance running. And the reason is there's a few of us here that are training for a race that's coming up here in a couple of more months. One of the things that, uh, that we've been doing to try to hold one another accountable is we've been meeting early on Sunday mornings, as Pastor has even mentioned a time or two, um, I think halfway laughing at us, um, but that we'll meet ha- early on Sunday mornings, go out run for a little while, And uh, it's a way for us to sort of hold each other accountable, see who's been training throughout the week and who hasn't, things like that. This past Sunday morning, we were out running, and some of you are familiar with T.C. Jester Park, and James Collard and I were running together, and uh, he was a few steps ahead of me on the trail. Now, we were on a part of the trail that has some trees and a few roots and things like that. It wasn't just the nice, smooth, paved bike trail, which is my preference. There's not anything to watch out for on that, but we were in the roots, the rocks, the trees, and as we're going along, training, trying to build this endurance so that when things get hard a couple months from now in the race, we don't just quit. We're running along. Like I said, he's a few steps out in front of me, which was a blessing for all of us because I was looking at these roots that were coming up five or six feet out in front of me. But what I didn't notice was the rock sticking up about three inches from the ground that my left foot caught square into. And if you're walking along and you kind of trip on something, you sort of stumble and hopefully catch yourself. But when you're running, the catching yourself thing didn't, it wasn't even, I I didn't even have time to sort of get my hands down. My left foot caught, the first thing that hit the ground was my left knee. The next thing that hit hit the ground was my chest. It was knee, chest. James, like I said, it's a good thing he was a few feet in front of me. One, he didn't see it happen, so that made less less mockery from him to me. Now, it didn't stop it. Because once he heard it, because he heard the whole thing happen, because as my chest hit, there were noises coming out that I could, like, because there I was running, and then next thing I know, I'm flat on the ground. And you know, right when you fall and you kind of feel, you're, you're sort of numbed initially, and then instantly I'm like, okay, everything hurts. I'm trying to figure out what exactly hurts, why it hurts, what hit, what didn't hit. James, after he stopped laughing, he checked to see if I was okay. Thankfully, I was. And I was able to, after a little bit, get back up and not much more wounded but my pride and ego and carry on down the trail. 
The goal of that early morning run isn't because I love running. But what we're trying to do is build up physical endurance so that in a few more, a couple more months, when the race is going to get hard, we don't quit. And spiritually speaking, what Peter is talking about here, he says you need to add into your spiritual toolbox, you need to build into your spiritual structure, spiritual endurance, a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. So that when you are attacked by the temptations that you are all very, very familiar with, that you're very aware that Satan throws at you on a regular basis, you don't quit, you don't give in. So that when somebody says something or makes fun of your faith or why you do the things that you do, you don't quit. So that you'll be faithful in sharing the gospel even if somebody has told you no once, twice, three times, ten times, however many times before. So that we'll be faithful to continue in prayer for those that we're close to. So that we will be faithful to continue to endure to the end. The Bible, the Apostle Paul in particular, oftentimes refers to the Christian life as running a race. And it's not a sprint. We know this. This is something that we have a whole life, no matter if that's a long life as we were to see it or a short life, we have a whole life to run this race. And Peter's essentially saying it's not going to go well if you're not building up your spiritual endurance, the fortitude to be able to continue on in the face of of difficult things. He continues on, he says, adding to patience, godliness. The last word there in verse number 6. This is cultivating a God-honoring devotion to Jesus Christ that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. Catch that? It's a devotion to Jesus that promotes righteousness as opposed to evil. We can look at it this way. This is me. I'm more loyal to God I'm more loyal to His Word and what He says I should be than I am to other things. That means when I'm bringing in the idea of external pressure again to a certain extent, that means that I'm not going to cave and I'm, not gonna be, I'm going to be more loyal to God than I am to other things. So if people have a problem with what I do, I say, well, I'm sorry, I'm more loyal to God than I am to you. I'm more loyal to what His Word says I'm supposed to be saying or doing than I am to what my culture says I'm supposed to be saying. Or doing again, you, as you've probably noticed, this one as well as these others, these are these are all encompassing ideas. And while we talked about the fact that it's sort of a sequential thing, here's one, here's the next, here's the next. You can probably tell by now that these things should sort of be be happening all together as well. I alluded to the symphony earlier. The in, the, the instruments playing in concert with one another. That's what makes ultimately the most beautiful sound. That's what makes that original composer's, uh, all those little dots and notes on the page all come to life and be a beautiful sound to the hearers. It's all those things in concert together. And a Christ-like godly life is going to work best when all of these things are working in concert one with another. There's a sequential idea, but there's certainly an idea of all of these things being developed together, being put into practice together. As you well know, you need self-control daily. It's not like we sort of, okay, I've mastered self-control, now I move on to endurance, now I move on to godliness, and so on and so forth. You know that these things are all happening all the time, all day, every day. It's the idea of a child growing. If you look in our youth group right now, if you were to look from the ankle down as we're sitting in class, you'd see the feet of a bunch of adults. We have some kids in our youth group with feet about this long, our pastor's son in particular. <clears throat> Trevor's got the feet of a full-grown man, but yet when you get above the ankles, you realize pretty quick he's a somewhat large 12 or 13-year-old. 
you've probably heard it said before that, uh, you know, people say act your age, not your shoe size. And for some of the kids in our youth group, it's like, well, pick your poison. They're the same thing. Um, we've got some kids with some adult feet, but they're still in kid bodies. They're still maturing. They'll still get into the point where they fully grow and mature. It would be weird if we grew one thing at a time. We got our adult feet, then we got our adult legs and knees, and then we, you know, and it kind of worked its way up. We'd look really weird until we got all the way there. Our bodies grow with everything in concert together, and spiritually speaking, that's the same idea that this should all be growing in concert together. Verse 6, we, said, we talked about temperance or self-control. We talked about patience or endurance. We talked about godliness. These three building blocks are key when it comes to developing courage for Christ. These traits produce a brave-hearted disciple who advances Christ and His ways and opposes evil in himself and others, regardless of risk to himself. Courage for Christ. Willingness to do right no matter what it costs me. Willingness not to do certain things no matter what it may cost me. And you know there's times when reputation can be at risk. When finances can be at risk for doing right. When a variety of things could sort of be on the line and at risk for doing right. Developing courage for Christ to be able to do right. To say yes when it's right. To say no when it's wrong. And doing what's right as we serve our God. Commitment to Christ in verse 5, courage for Christ in verse 6, and then here in verse 7, we'll look at two traits that are developing in us a compassion to be like Christ. Verse 7 says, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, brotherly kindness, cultivating a God-engendered affection for and service to fellow believers. Remember, we said these are challenging words. Brotherly kindness to fellow believers. This isn't always easy, is it? Because people do and say things that get on our nerves, that frustrate us, that make us angry, that are opposite of what we want them to do or say, and we realize pretty quickly that we can't control them as much as we might like to. And what's really frustrating is you're, as you're looking at your newborn baby and you're realizing this eight-pound human, I can't control. <laughs> I can't As much as I want to make them stop crying, or whatever it is, I, I can't control them. And obviously it only goes as the child gets bigger. You recognize very quickly that you have to rely on God when it comes to parenting, and you recognize very quickly in relationships as a whole that you have to rely on God's strength. But developing brotherly kindness. The next one down, these work hand in hand with one another. And to brotherly kindness, charity, or the word we most often use for charity, which is love. Cultivating a God imitation mindset that scripturally and sacrificially meets the spiritual needs of others. Being willing to put others before myself. Brotherly kindness, being willing to serve, being willing to help, being willing to meet a need. And love, being willing to sacrifice my own desires, my own wants, my own needs for the betterment of others. To help somebody else to become more like Christ. To be willing to imitate Christ in that way. And in doing so, we will develop a compassion in us that is reminiscent of the compassion that Jesus had when He came to die for you and for me. The point here is Christ's likeness. The goal is to become like Him. We recognize this as a lifelong pursuit. There are no days off. There are no paid vacations. There's no taking time away. This is all day, every day. 
It requires, as he said back in verse 5, giving all diligence, making every effort in our growth in Christ's likeness. And the reason why it's so important, I alluded to this earlier, we're there now, verse number 8. For if these things, all the stuff he just talked about, the eight different building blocks, if you will, for if these things be in you and abound or flourish, these are growing, these are happening, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, just like a fruit tree is supposed to bring fruit, supposed to bear fruit, supposed to grow every season that it's supposed to have fruit. If it doesn't, there's a problem with the tree. Spiritually speaking, and we see this alluded to over and over through Scripture, if there's a problem with the tree, then we need to check out what's going on inside. He says here, if these things be in you and abound, if you're growing in these things, if you're building, adding these things to your life, if you're working at them, you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be unfruitful. In other words, your life is going to reflect what God wants it to reflect. Your speech is going to reflect what God wants it to reflect. Your actions are going to be those actions that God wants you to have. Your life will bring God the glory that He desires for it to bring. But then He gives a warning in verse number 9. He says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. In Scripture, we oftentimes see blindness alluded to, when it, especially spiritual blindness, to people who are unbelievers. So people who haven't accepted Christ as their Savior. He says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now we need to be careful here, because what I don't believe the Scripture is teaching is that this person was saved and somehow lost it. It says he had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, he's going through life as if... He never was saved in the first place. You see, the reality to Christianity is it's a growing process. I believe the Scripture is clear when it says that we accept Christ, that we are His, and that He holds us. But yet here it's saying that we can get ourselves to the point, if we live like the world long enough, if we pursue the things the world pursues long enough, our lives are going to look just like a person who's never accepted Christ in the first place. When you think about the purpose of our life here on earth as we are meant to bring God glory, as we are meant to point others to Him, as we are meant to live a life that is in concert with what His Word says, just about the worst possible life that a Christian could lead is one that's described here in verse number 9. A person who's living as if they've forgotten they were ever saved in the first place. A person whose life looks exactly like the life of an unbeliever. So these are challenging words. Easy to understand, but not necessarily so easy to live out. And they're challenging because they're vitally important. If we're adding these things, if we are working at these things, making every effort as he describes, we can be confident that God will allow us to have a life that is fruitful, that is purposeful, and that brings God glory. But if we don't, we can also be confident that our life won't bring God glory, that we will lack purpose, and that when we get to the end of our days, we will have lived a life that was barren and fruitless. So, so tonight, I guess what I would say, my encouragement for me and my encouragement for you, is that we would take to heart what Peter is writing. Now, he wrote these words a long time back. But the application for those believers back then is the same as it is today, that we need to take heed, that we need to pay attention. We need to see the warning. We need to recognize the importance 
of our walk with God. That we would take these building blocks that He's given us in verses 5, 6, and 7 and do a little bit of introspective looking at our lives to say, where am I growing and where am I not? Where am I failing and where am I having success? And that we look to add these things into our life, recognizing that we'll never fully get there, but understanding that through God's Word, through the walking daily with Him, that we can continue to make progress in our Christ-likeness. And then at the end of our lives, we can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. We can hear God say one day to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I hope that that is our prayer for our life each day, that each day we'd live today, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we would live today in a way that would honor and glorify God and then pray for His strength to do the same tomorrow and as many days as God gives us. Let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll spend some time uh, in prayer together tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time that we've gotten to spend looking at these few verses in 2 Peter. And um, thank you for the, the simplicity of it, the fact that it's pretty clear here what you desire of us. And I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd help each one of us as we've looked at this even just briefly here tonight, that you'd help us to um, take to heart um, the words that you have given us, that, uh, that, that we would take these things seriously, that we would look at areas in our life that need to grow and change, and that we would look to you for the strength uh, to do these things. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to you in your word, help us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of you, and I pray that you would help us to bring you glory with our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.